Welcome guys to another episode of Facility and Property Management Secrets Radio. I'm your host Javier Lozano Jr. with CMI Mechanical. Uh, I'm basically here with a really awesome guest here. His name is Michael Curlin. This is an awesome opportunity to have this interview here with Michael. Um, and what I'm really excited about is the knowledge that he's going to be bringing to the table here. Is, is essentially his background in the facilities management world has been just phenomenal. And what I love best about him is, is that he approaches it from something that's a little different from what the industry standard has been seeing for a long time. So Michael, thanks for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So Michael, if you wouldn't mind, you know, just kind of sharing what you've been able to accomplish over the past few years. I mean, I know that you guys have been uh, ranked in the Inc. 5000 recently twice in a row, which is exciting. But I know there's other things that you may want to just kind of let your audience or I'm sorry, our audience know about what you've accomplished so far. So we just celebrated our six-year anniversary. Uh, so Brandon Group's been around for six years. That's awesome. Yeah, that was you know when we started, we were hoping to get to five because that's like the the bankruptcy point, right? right? And once you once you hit five, you're not going out of out of business. Yeah. So we hit six this year. Uh, we actually just recently were ranked number seventy-seven on uh, California's fastest-growing Inc. companies uh, for small companies. Okay. So we're we're super excited and proud about that. Uh, Brandon Group overall, we've been around for six years. We've grown. Uh, year over year from a small company to a, a mid-sized uh, revenue company, which we're also proud of. We went from zero, two employees when we started, we're at 85 now. Uh, wow, yeah, 85. so 85 employees since you started to now. In six years, 85 employees. Holy smokes. Yeah. So we're, we're very proud about that. And one of the, the biggest thing that I am proud of as uh, the CEO and also what I, what I uh, encompass in my role is sales, marketing, and company culture, yep. uh, and that was something that was lacking, which we'll talk about probably later, is yeah. why I even started this company. But uh, the culture is, is to the point where we have a 96% retention rate with our employees. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. So people actually want to show up and work. Right, in our in our industry, people want to show up to, so, to work. So you're, you're saying millennials are wanting to work. I feel like I may be a little bit of the millennial whisperer, I feel the same way. but I'm just on the outside of the cusp, so I can talk up and I can talk down. I'm not, I'm not quite a millennial, but I understand what they want. And yes, um, coming to work every day, we give them a purpose um, more than just getting a paycheck and fixing toilets for retailers across yeah. the country, right? So, so yeah, that's, that's awesome. one of our biggest, like, happiest accomplishments ever. That's you, you got to be proud about that. I mean, I think with what you guys have accomplished has been great, but I think. As a former entrepreneur myself, that's huge. That speaks volumes about the culture you've created. That speaks volumes about your leadership skills and how you are able to communicate with these people. Um, and that's something that, I mean, I don't want to knock our industry, but I feel like our industry kind of lacks a little bit. And that's something that I'd love to see our industry start embracing leaders like yourself. And I really think that you know people are doing that more often. So that's really exciting. Thanks. So you know, I know your background has been facilities for quite a long time, right? Correct. It's pretty much all I've ever done. Okay. Uh, I had a little stint at uh, Abercrombie and Fitch as a store manager. I don't know if we're allowed to say that, but, <laughs> but yeah. So that was the first job, and then I had some odd sales jobs where it was pound the phone to make a thousand calls. Taught me everything I needed to know about sales, but, gotcha. and also what I didn't want to do for the rest of my career. Right. And then started as a FM for a uh, a retailer back in 2004. Okay. And then. 2006, 2007, I jumped over to the dark side. Okay. Became a um, uh, salesperson for a national facilities management company. Nice. And I was there for six years. And then at the end of that term, I was there for seven years. And at the end of that term, I started Brandon Group six years ago. 
Okay. And so when you finished that term, was it, were you kind of like, you're like saying, you know what, I'm going to just start my own company or were you kind of like, I don't know if I should do this. Cause as an entrepreneur, like I think we could relate here. That's a huge risk. I mean, you're putting not just your money, your time, your reputation, all the stuff on the line and what you've accomplished so far. And then you lose your life because that's all you put your, it's, it's literally 24, seven, 365 of what you're doing. Correct. And is that what you kind of were thinking of doing or is that just kind of happened? So the last, the place I was before I started Brandon Group was the, the ownership when I first started, it was a small family run company. Okay. And it was two partners and one of the partners uh, family was also in, in, in the ownership. So they were great guys. They taught me everything I needed to know. Uh, good, bad, right? Yep. And they sold to private equity, and, and you know, kudos to them. They were they worked their tails off to get where they needed to go to to, to get their money, you know. Yep. And um, the private equity came in, and it was just it went from me being the vice president of sales and marketing, and having carte blanche, and you know, doing what I needed to do to close business and traveling all over the place to with a team to being um, a director. So I was demoted got a boss put on top of me and basically I had all my freedoms taken away to sell creatively as I needed to gotcha. to make sure things were done. So it was within that year that I started thinking I can't ever work for someone again because I started working for someone and it just it didn't work. My personality didn't jive with my new VP and it didn't work out well so I started thinking hey maybe I should go out on my own because at least if I don't like my boss, it's me. <laughs> right? Right. Do you, have you always had that entrepreneurial mindset? Have you always had that entrepreneurial spirit? Because it's in some, it's in, I'm a Gary Vaynerchuk fan. It's in your DNA or it's not. So it's, it's weird because when I, I think I went through a, a, a big life change right around the same time that private equity bought out the company. I also went through a divorce. And at that point in time, it, and it was I'm sorry, thing. I wasn't trying to get personal. No, no, it's cool. Why not, right? That's what we're, we're <laughs> supposed to talk about, right? So uh, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I went from being someone who was maybe scared to take that step and maybe couldn't actually see myself in that role to like, why not? Why not take the, 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 the big leap and What's the worst I have to lose? I've already gone through a lot of stuff this year. I've been fired and been divorced, so why not yeah. see if I lose my life savings too? I can still make more money. Yeah. So that, that kind of like was the one of the driving factors to springboard me into becoming like an entrepreneur and saying, hey, I can do this. That's awesome. Yeah. Kudos for you, man. Because that's, I mean, that's the thing that like people like you and I that have that entrepreneurial spirit, that mindset, think differently. And we don't really get along with everybody else because of our mindset is just unique. It's not, you know, like everyone else. And it's not right or wrong. It's just, we're different. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, I, I mean, I think in this in the, this world in general, you need people that are willing to be the boss, be the leader, think that they can do it, believe in themselves. And then you need people that are worker bees because if everyone wanted to be a leader, where would we be? Exactly. You know, be, everyone would be fighting cutthroat. Everyone would be trying to be running yes. their own business and there'd be no one to do the day-to-day tasks yeah no that makes complete sense I love that you're pointing those little things out because you know I kind of had a feeling that's kind of how you were because if you started the company you know now it's six years um, but you know you always want to hear the story because there's always a story behind it you know like my background was is, is somewhat like what you were going through I was selling for a, a SaaS company before we even called it SaaS right I was jokingly back in you know, 15 years ago I'd call it webware because there was software and there was nothing else so this was before SaaS existed, so I did that, and I sold it 
for a solid almost, I think five years, I was a top sales rep. Even when I left, I was still the top sales rep because I built up so much revenue from the back end that it was just like cranking in. Um, but I, when I did that, I basically started my company for a year and worked for a year at my same company and was juggling two things. And essentially the reason I did that is because I needed to establish certain things financially to be able to do it. But kind of what you're going, what you went through, where you were bumping heads, where you weren't really seeing eye to eye with certain people. And it was like, you know what? I just need to do this. Like I went to school for the reason of opening a business and then I did it. And it was great. It was the best experience that I can ever imagine. Um, but at the same time, it's probably the worst experience because then you have expectations that, you know, like I'm the one that makes the calls and all this other stuff. And so it's just different, you know, but it's really cool that what you did is you experienced everything, you great, great success. But then more importantly, you were able to apply what you learned and what you didn't like to create Branded Group. And so I think it's awesome. So tell me a little bit more about um, Branded Group. Like what do you guys kind of focus on really quick so that we kind of you know, let our audience know and then let's talk about facility management stuff. Sure. We're a nationwide full service maintenance and construction management company. Okay. So we do everything from the day-to-day -day break fix. We have uh, an entire department uh, focusing on construction. We don't do ground up construction, but you know, vanilla box, uh, remodels, retrofits, rollouts. We are uh, certified licensed GC. Interesting, um, that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, we also have an entire preventive maintenance department. So we're running uh, anything from HVAC filter changes and TMs to with our restaurant tours, we're doing grease traps and things of that nature. Gotcha. So, uh, I mean, I'd say still to this day, our, our bread and butter, what keeps the lights on is the brake fix repair maintenance. Gotcha. And I was just going to ask you that, what's kind of what your bread and butter, butter on that side. Um, is there something that you truly just love about what you guys are doing in your company, like, you know, when you're working on the facility side stuff? So, uh, as far as the operations are concerned, I smartly bowed out of that a couple of years ago. Interesting. And, yeah. So, I, you know, I'm high level when it comes to operations, but my business partner, uh, John Thomas, he is the guru. He's the guy. And what we do differently is there's nothing, there's no secret sauce other than efficiencies. We find efficiencies that we don't think our competition is doing. Okay. And we hone in on those small details because in this industry, for what we do, time is money. Yes. And it's, it's not always about margin. And a lot of people think margin, margin, margin. But if you can do a job faster and bill it faster, then it starts to, the timetable to get paid faster. And if we can figure out a way to shave two minutes here, two minutes there, two minutes there, an hour here, yes, we're getting paid faster. Yes, and even if we're making less margin, we're still getting paid faster. Exactly. So that is cash is king, right? Exactly. <laughs> and you would be surprised how many people think that branded group stands for bank, but <laughs> <laughs> that's funny stuff, man. So then, you know, you guys work with quite a bit of facility managers and, you know, what are some of the struggles or challenges that you see, not just in the industry, but also with these FMs? I mean, because I'm, I'm assuming you guys work with the actual FM themselves, you know, or you might even work with, you know, a larger company that then this is implemented throughout the entire organization. Am I correct? Or both. Okay. So, so to tell me, you know, a little bit of both sides of that, if you don't mind. Okay, so there's there's two ways that it can be done. You know, obviously, and you you're familiar with both of these ways. You either get in through an RFP and your pricing and your model 
fits with what they're looking for, and then you're dispersed through either a region or you know first, second, tertiary, whatever. Or you, you build a relationship with an FM that has the ability to pick and choose who they want to use, and they use you, and then they either spread you to their counterparts within their organization. Okay. Uh, so the challenges that I see is that FM is not a glamorous job, and it's kind of a place where you, a lot of people don't want to stay for a very long time. Okay. So, uh, you know, a lot of people are just trying to get in and, and, and move up. And so I think the challenges are when those people do move up, because, you know, it's, it's a springboard position, when you're bringing a lot of other people in, you're not hiring a lot of people with experience because those people that also have experience are also trying to move up. Gotcha. So they don't want to take a sidestep. In my opinion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like you're getting a lot of like entry level people that are coming in from college or a different industry, and they're like, okay, we can teach you facilities, but um, they don't really have that knowledge. And so I think that's a, a challenge for a lot of newer FMs out of the industry. So are you saying that like these people are, are not as I don't want to say educated, but they don't have the training, the appropriate training to be the right leader for a facility manager. And not all, but I'm just saying from what you've experienced, some. Is that lacking? Is there a way of maybe getting the right education and the right training so that they can become like these, these amazing facility managers? I mean, what do you think? Because, like, again, you're, you're probably talking to these guys quite a bit. Well, I think, you know, we were talking about it off the, off the air before, and it's you said, you know, our industry is 20 years behind, right? So yes. I think even now, if you look at college programs, I mean, when me and you went to college, you couldn't go to school to be an FM. No. That's, but now you can. So, But the people that are going to school to be an FM are just graduating in the last five years. Yep. So, you know, you're when you're hiring someone, and a lot of times these departments, they don't want to invest high dollar amounts into their facilities managers. How come? I don't. I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's, it's probably budgetary, right? Okay. So, you know, you think you got your, your VP up here, or your director, and then the FMs that work for them. And, and so these FMs are making, I think, a fair salary, but I don't think you're, you're going to hire, like, someone who is highly versed in, in the industry for 20 years yep. for the salary you want to pay to get an FM, and you're going to probably get someone more on the entry level or second or third job that's looking to make a career change into that seat. And then it's not about them not being smarter or anything of that nature. It's just how do you learn about facilities? If you're not interested in it in your own time, you're probably never new, right? Gotcha. Like, like the parts, even when I started, funny story, I was working for Jones Apparel Group. Okay. And I was an FM, and same thing happened to me. I had done a couple of sales jobs. It was my third job. Uh, they hired me. The salary was not anything that was great, but it was enough. And I didn't know anything when I came in. Wow. For the first month, I kept getting tickets saying, let's replace the lamp at this store. Let's replace the lamp at that store. And I look into my boss and I say, why do we, why do we have lamps? I really have lamps in our store, and she's like, that's a light bulb. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. So and it's just that, like, the, those little uh, pieces of knowledge that you have to pick along with them, that you get in the scene. Right? Yeah, and that's and it's interesting you bring those things up because, I I mean, again, like, I don't want to knock anybody because the thing is is that you don't know what you don't know. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I wish there was more education to help create these. Because in my opinion, this is how I see it. Facility managers are kind of like an entrepreneur of their own little business. Sure. You know, and I know it seems weird, but you have 100 locations, 200 locations, and you have a team of people that are kind of below you that have to do something. And then all of a sudden, everyone's just yelling at you for fires. Right. Everything's an emergency. Right. 
everything. And at the end of the day, like if everything was an emergency in your in your business, you'd probably be losing your hair today. Right. You know. So you got to create. Them, no. <laughs> right? But like, like you got to create systems. You got to create processes. You got to create. You know, this is what we do when this happens. You know, like don't go to me. Go to this person because I don't want to hear about this. Like, and there's things that like I sit here and I think about it. I was like, if facility managers would have these tools of how to better leverage their time you know, better create systems and processes and stuff like that. I, excuse me, I really think that's going to alleviate some of their pain sure. so they can focus on things that are more troubling. So, yes, and I think this is another seg to segue and kind of jump off what we were just talking about. We also, at Branded Group, can't hire, you know, facilities managers at these great salaries with all this experience. So what we look for when we're interviewing, amongst other things, is organizational skills. Interesting. And if you are highly organized, it's definitely to your benefit. Because we can teach you anything, and that's actually one thing that we have set, another thing we've set ourselves apart in the industry that I feel is that we have a full-time dedicated Branded Group College. The third partner, her name is Kira Blonzi, all she does is run Branded Group College. So, so what is that? So basically you come in, you get hired, you do two weeks of training. Okay. We put you on the floor, we let you try and, and learn under a watchful eye, okay. and then there's follow-up training three weeks later. Okay. And then there's there's continuous training, there's ongoing education. That is brilliant. At all times. That's part of the reason why we have 96% retention rate, because we don't throw them to the bulls. We don't say figure it out, and when their hair is on fire, who do you go to? Yeah. And we have the processes in place, so they do know who to go to and what, what protocols to follow, yeah. so that it can be a simple, smooth process. That is amazing, and that's the thing is, is that what I've realized and what I've learned, um, if and, and I'll say this even for the millennial generation as well too, because essentially that's what you're kind of hiring at times, is if you give them the right tools, let them leverage things that they're used to using, technologies, sort of things. You educate them correctly. You speak to their same language. They will go to bat for you any time of the week, any time. And I'm assuming that's what you guys are experiencing. I mean, within our 85 employees, 96% retention rate, I would say 70 of those employees are millennials. Really? And yeah, so I agree with everything you're saying. The education, you know, speak their language, let them have, utilize technology. We, we don't care if they text message with their technicians when, yeah. they're, when they're working. We let them work from home once a month as long as they're within good standing within the company, haven't had any, you know, issues, yep. Perfect. Uh, attendance issues, or things of that nature. And, um, you know, we also provide the purpose we we have, which we can get into later. It's the, the one for one program, which has evolved over the, the six years. Yeah. But basically, we donate a minute of time, uh, of, of service time, to three local charities, and that's through our employees. So through our eighty-five employees, they're the ones that are doing this. This community service, myself included. Yeah. All of us, and you'd be amazed at how much that purpose makes them want to come to work. That's awesome. And see, I love I love hearing that because I'm tired of people complaining. And I know we're kind of going off topic on this, you know, but I'm tired of hearing people complaining about millennials or this, millennials or that. I'm like, you know what? It's no different from your generation. Right. You know, no different from our generation. Right. You know, it's it's just you got to find that level of language, how you speak to them, communicate with them, respect them, that they're heard, and they will go to bat for you. I mean, that's what happened with my business when I was running it. Like, I had... Millennials helping me with all sorts of stuff to the point where they would do anything. They would literally sit in front of a truck if they had to, you know, in front of you know, in front of me, because I, I showed them that much respect. 
Right. I gave them that much opportunity to learn and grow and all that stuff, and that's huge. And I think that's something that's really imperative for the facility management world is, is that, you know, we have this new, you know, I guess regime, I guess you want to call it, of people coming into the facilities mm -hmm. that are not as trained. And what you guys are doing is, is amazing. If we can do some more of that stuff, and then we're all speaking the same language, you know, we all understand the same thing, that would be huge for this industry to have taken them step forward. You know, I mean, because... Uh, best example is this. This is content that we're creating right now that people can listen to on a podcast, on YouTube, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, at their own time, okay, when they're driving or when they're sitting there, whatever. But this is free content that we're creating, and they can start getting inspired. They can start saying, you know what, this sounds kind of cool, or I should look into this brand group, you know, branded group company, like, you know, what are they doing, or whatever it is to kind of see what the industry is like. And Maybe they want to contribute, and they're going to see who has the best training, who has the best education. All of a sudden, those people will start emerging as leaders, you know. And so, I think that's the that's that's how I'd love to see this industry. I mean, and I've only been in for twelve months, you know. And I mean, I'm assuming you feel the same way. Yeah, sixteen years later, I I mean, that's what we're trying to do at Brandon Group. So I'm, you know, hoping that it, it becomes emulated through throughout our industry, uh, so that it can continue to grow and the new force regime comes in and, and grows facilities management because it's not going anywhere. Yeah, no, no, totally not. People are saying facilities is dying and you know, retail is dying. It's far from it. It's, it's just evolving. It, yes. It's evolving. Exactly. And I, I'm a big say of this is if you're not evolving, you're dissolving. Yep. And I have a similar saying. D, what's yours? If you're not evolving, you're dying. Good. <laughs> yeah, so that's awesome. I mean, and so, you know, as you guys are working with these, you know, these facility managers, are there common things that you always experience all the time that you just kind of have like, all right, he's, he's the same problem, you know, give him the same solution. Like, is there something common that you guys always deal with? So for me, over 16 years, there's two types of companies. There's the ones that get it done. They just want to get it done because they want their stores to be looking great because they, they, they put equity and the fact that if their stores look great, people will want to shop them, whether it's an experience or just the lighting or, you know, however they market their stores, whether it's high-end or whatever, if their stores look great, they'll be shopped, and if the stores are shopped, the revenues will fall. Yes. And those So those facilities managers have, I would say, I don't want to say the easier job, but they have the ability to at least get things done that they need to get done. Gotcha. Then you also go to a lot of I don't want to say a lot of other companies, but there's the companies that it's a budget thing, and so yes. when you when you come into the budget constraint of, I don't, I, I still don't understand it to this day, but in our industry, the first budget to go get slashed is the facilities management department budget, and it doesn't make any sense to me because you're owning actual things, assets, assets, and these assets are getting older, and when assets get older, you have to repair and replace them. So to say you did $10 million last year, our fleet went up 10% uh, in terms of assets, mm -hmm. but I want you to spend 10% less, and your budget's tied to it, and and <laughs> if you don't do it, you're fired, you know, or things of that nature, yeah. it's just a lot of stress, it's a stressful environment for our facilities manager to get things done, and what are they supposed to do? And they're, they're taking their marching order, so that's probably the, the biggest thing we run into is when, you know, the top-down conflict says, hey, we want you to spend less on facilities this year. That's, that's part of one of the biggest things, that, the biggest budgets you have in your, in your yeah. company. How are you going to make them spend less? Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, if a customer is not having a great experience at that building, 
you know what, then they're not going to shop there. Right. They're leaving, and therefore, let, you know, AC is out, toilets are disgusting, right. you know, um, floors look filthy, lights are out, looks like it's, you know, you're going to get shot if you walk into the building, like anything like that. You're going to lose customers like this. Right. The experience starts from the minute, even before that, but in my opinion, from the minute they pull into that parking lot. Yep. Like, you better have lights on that are nice. You better have the entire signage turned on. You know, when you walk in, you should be greeted by somebody. You know, it should be nice, clean floors. The bathroom shouldn't look like it hasn't been cleaned for two weeks. Like, and I know that it's not, it's not all facility management, but I feel, this is my perspective, they can help lead the way in some of those things of saying, hey, guys, let's try to look at revenue ways of increasing our revenue by changing the experience yep. and teaming up with the general manager. Oh, we get some great music going. <laughs> we'll do what we can. But, um, I mean, what do you think? Do you agree? Yeah. I, I, so I'm of the look that you always, you, you make your decision at first glance, not just with retail, but anything. Like, first impression is everything. You only get one chance at first impression. So if I want to go shop this new store, right, this new hot retailer, and I pull up, and it's anything like you described, Maybe that's just a bad day or a bad location for me to have picked to go look at, but that's my opinion that I've formed it. You probably lost a customer, right? Yes. So, so I don't know, and I'm definitely biased, right? Because I own a facilities management company, so I want to keep doing these uh, repairs and maintenance because it's what keeps me in business. For sure. But And I want, I, I like the budgets to be bigger, obviously. I'm for sure. sure. You do too, right? Oh, no, dude, all the time. All the time. But yeah, I get it. But you, you, you know, you only have one chance at a first impression. So I have always been told, even when I worked at Jones Apparel Group, it was always keep the store clean and make sure that the entrance was, was great. The lighting is number one. you got to have the lighting on. And this is, you know, 16 years ago. So I'm sure some of it's evolved, but I'm sure there's still some strongholds from that, that thought process from back then. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's interesting. 